Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello and welcome to Syrupcast episode 34 on this Ooh. beautiful March. Uh, what day is it today? I don't even Sixth, know what day it Friday. is today. That's because it's Friday. In Spain time where nobody cares what day it is. Exactly. Every day is a weekend. Every day is siesta. Jambon. Uh, it is March 6th. It is Syrupcast 34 and I'm joined by the lovely Jane McIntaggart. How are you? Hello. I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. I'm you still recovering. I am... Actually, not so jet lagged today, but I have to tell you the amount of coffee I imbibed while in Spain is ridiculous. It should have killed me, but in fact, it only made me stronger. Ooh. Okay. So this podcast is going to focus almost entirely on uh, what you did while that. you had that coffee. <laughs> We're going to talk about the Galaxy S6, the S6 Edge. We're going to talk about the HTC One M9. The Alcatel One Touch Idle 3, which is kind of cool. And uh, it's less important, but super interesting deal with Cyanogen. We're going to talk a little bit about the Apple Watch event coming up on Monday, which I'm going to be at, which I'm really excited about. And finally, we're going to talk a little bit about today's results of the Spectrum auction, where Wind won basically everything that it bid on in Southern Ontario, British Columbia, and Alberta. And I spoke to Tony Lacavera, Wind's chairman, earlier, and uh, we had a really interesting conversation, so we'll get to that in a bit. Um, but uh, first, I just want to wanna get a feeling from this side of the pond. What did you think, just seeing all that coverage, that, you know, it's, it's kind of like a barf of coverage, right? When there's yeah. an embargo, everybody puts out all their stuff at once. I had a bit of time to work with on the HTC One M9. So I had about a day with it. So I, I got a good sense of it. But oh, yeah? The, yeah, and it was did actually they, like, really... give it to you and then release you into Barcelona with it? Or did they just they keep did you under with... their watchful eye? No, they... So this this is a, a really cool program that they have where they'll give a bunch of journalists... Um, you know, full disclosure, HTC paid for my flight and uh, they were very gracious enough to host me at a hotel... Uh, and they did this for a number of, of journalists um, to give them a sense of how uh, the device works and to spend a little bit of time with it under NDA before the embargo lifts. And this is a way of them of, of them getting not better coverage, but better quality coverage. It's also and better access too, right? Because they, they flew you out a couple of days before like the mass like of journalists descended upon Barcelona to... So like if you had flown in on the same same time as everyone else, then you wouldn't have had time to meet with HTC in that capacity. Right. So, so this is their strategy. They want more comprehensive coverage than their competitors. And you know, 
as as writers of, on on this stuff, it, it it's incumbent on us to try and get as much access as early as possible. And you know, when a company like HTC makes it easier, then everybody benefits because then it's not a rushed hands-on the way that right. you know most most of these uh, press events are. Yeah, and so, it's also beneficial in the sense that your first reaction might to a feature might be like, oh, that's kind of stupid. Like those themes, like you keep, you keep talking about the themes are great. And I, I haven't played with the phone, so I'm like, I don't get it. Isn't it just like wallpapers and icons <laughs> and fonts? So that's, yeah, it gives you a better idea of, of what you're looking at, especially for features like that where they've obviously put a lot of time into it and, and they want you to understand. Yeah, exactly. So. And they have product managers, they have designers on hand to talk to us. You know, obviously, they're trying to convey a, a certain message. And, you know, you can take it as gospel or be skeptical as you would with any other message. But the fact that you have time to digest whatever these people are saying, you get time with the device itself, you get to do comparisons with the hardware and the software. You know, it wasn't finished software. So as I said, in my hands on video, I had some issues with the camera quality, but they've since sent us an email saying that many of those issues such as autofocus problems and white balance problems those will be cleared up before the device shifts by the end of march hopefully that's true but a hands-on is not a review and that's what i think everybody needs to remember right these are very very early um you know pieces of of, of content right they're they're early for for the manufacturer they're early for us as as the creator and they should not be taken as as any indication of how the device will act um, yeah. when it ships. But it is a really good opportunity for most people who wouldn't otherwise get their hands on stuff. So um, that being said, the the Sunday, the, the like you know Sunday Fun Day is when all of these companies have their press conferences. HTC, Huawei, Alcatel and Samsung all had press conferences on the Sunday before the day MWC actually began. Not to mention the fact that there is the Barcelona equivalent of Pepcom and Showstoppers all in one day. So unless you have a team of like eight people, you can't do any of these things or all of them. I got a chance to go to HTC and Samsung and I got pre-briefed on, on Alcatel. Did you get a so, chance to go to Showstoppers? No, I didn't. And I heard that they're different <laughs> than it is. the ECS equivalents. It is. It's like a lot of the focus is on like ham and sangria. And oh, then which... there's a lot of like, I guess, like mobile infrastructure stuff and then accessories. I don't know what there was there this year, but that was what was there last year. Yeah, I can imagine it's the same. Yeah. The mobile infrastructure side of things is really interesting because that's what you don't... <sighs> I like it. I think it's super <laughs> interesting. Uh, as a as a network geek, I'm I'm fascinated <laughs> by how you know these kinds of backhauls are created. The way that you know companies like our carriers have to enter into contracts with the you know solutions providers like Huawei and uh, uh, Nokia, uh, NTN, um, their their network systems side of uh, their business. And right. there's a there's a lot of um, back and forth. I mean, once you once you commit to a company, it's really hard to back out. So a lot of the carriers take their time. They, you know, weigh the pros and cons of working with each company. And um, it's it's one of those things where 
a lot of money exchanges hands that you never hear about. You know, Nokia is still a huge player oh, yeah. in the network infrastructure business. And it's one of those things where, oh, so Nokia sold its devices and services division to Microsoft. They must be dying. Yeah, they cut well, off basically like a pinky finger. Well, I mean, they cut off they they cut off basically four fingers of their of their <laughs> you know right hand. Um, it's a bit more than the pinky, but I mean they they needed it, right? They that you know they were that that those four fingers had gangrene. You know they needed to get rid of that. So um, Nokia is actually an interesting. If we have time, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the N one tablet because I I actually really liked it. Um, the iPad. I feel clone like you weren't that, the only one either. I feel like a lot of people liked it. No, you know what was so interesting? I, I played with it right before I left for um, to go home. So I, you know, this I, I was only there until Wednesday evening or Tuesday evening. So I was only at the conference for two days, and then I had a had a flight to catch um, at five a.m. the next morning. So the end run was the last piece of content that I that I captured, and I wrote the article, did the video, and then I looked at other sites' uh, coverage of it. And it was equally as positive as mine. Hmm. And I had no context because I'd never read anything else yeah. about the tablet before. And then I saw The Verge and Gadget, Ars Technica. They all praised it for being an honest clone. Even yeah, the people who represented that, it. That's something that people, I think, also, there's like a lot, when you were talking about Nokia has so much going on aside from their devices and services. It's also important to remember that they... They mainly, like, the biggest thing that they sold was the Lumia brand. Like, mm. Nokia is allowed to still produce hardware, first of all. And second of all, they're allowed to, I think there's, like, a limitation of, like, one to two years, depending on whether it's smartphones or tablets. And after that's up, they're actually allowed to, like, produce, was it smartphones in two years? And tablets in one or something? I think it was, um, so feature phones, they sold to Microsoft as well. And that's yeah. that's still their, that was their biggest business by far. Right. There's, they were even at the time of, of selling to Microsoft, um, shipping, I think about over a hundred million feature phones still. Yeah. You know those Nokia one hundreds, thirty five dollar devices. Yeah. So Microsoft is now that they own that. Uh, I, I'd I'd have to check how long Nokia has to stay out of like the game. Twelve to eighteen months or tablets in twelve to eighteen months, but smartphones not for two years. But then after that, they they're allowed. Yeah. They could sell. Absolutely. They could sell a Nokia device with android if they wanted to because so, all they did with this tablet was they licensed the nokia brand right to an oem right so and that's another interesting thing is that the n1 is actually as much a foxconn product as it is a nokia product it was designed yeah. by foxconn it was built by foxconn uh, and the only thing that is being maintained by nokia is the launcher i believe even foxconn is undertaking to update the software um, using the the Nokia brand, so they're you know it's it's interesting how hands off Nokia is being. It's a similar but not it's a similar but um, sort of more overtly ODM type deal than BlackBerry's deal with Foxconn because BlackBerry only uses them to build to design and build uh, certain handsets, but uh, Foxconn, from what I understand designed the the Z3 and then also manufactured it, but software was entirely undertaken by BlackBerry, as they have to, obviously. They so, beat my Nokia. Did I say BlackBerry? BlackBerry? I think, yeah. 
Yeah. But that's Sorry, also I, I a cool talk, fact, I was too, talking though. about the Z3. Yeah. The Like, the BlackBerry Z3. Oh, okay. But that's cool, it's too, a though. It's I don't know if it's, it was... I don't know what it was like in North America, but definitely in Europe. Ten years ago, Huawei was seen as, like... It was similar to Foxconn, where it's like, they made equipment. They didn't make... They didn't make, you know, your phones. They made equipment. And now they, yeah. they're, in a big way, have entered the phone business, so... It's interesting that this is being branded as like a Foxconn product too. And maybe that's because Nokia wants to distance itself as much as possible where it's like, hey, we just gave them the name. They copied the iPad and <laughs> it's not our fault. <laughs> but, but they're owning it. Could be, it could I be know, something else too. You never know. I spoke to product managers at the Nokia booth and they were very happy to admit that it was a, an iPad clone. If only because they claim that no, nobody else in the, in the Android ecosystem is doing iPad-like experiences where... You know, there nobody in the Android world is making a high quality metal tablet at seven point nine inches with a high quality, you know, high quality twenty forty eight by fifteen thirty six display with a laminated IPS uh, LCD panel with a high end sixty four bit Intel chip. I mean, from what I could tell, they're very happy to be compared to the iPad because it's it's only That's different what going in, the, for. <laughs> in the area exactly. It's only different in the area that they need it to be different, which is in the sense that it runs Android. But doesn't Apple, like, isn't that going to be an issue with Apple, Apple, all Apple's patents that they have on the most random things? Like, Apple has a patent on rectangular devices with rounded corners. And, like, no joke, the act, like, the drawing looks like an iPad. Right. And they're like, this, this, we have this now. So I don't understand how a device like this could not be in contravention of that. I mean, it's, it's. Well, I think that may be a roadblock to its, its release in, in North America. The reason they're um, right now, the N1 is only actually shipping in China Mm. and it's shipping without the Play Store. And it could be that Nokia is trying to avoid any litigation from Apple by releasing it only in a market that Apple really doesn't have any power over its copyright. I don't know. um, It also helps helps that market is also crazy for knockoffs. (laughs) Right, and Apple's never been able to do anything about it. So, yeah. uh, from what I understand, Apple can't sue Foxconn. I mean, Foxconn creates the iPhone; they build the iPhone. Surely that's going to damage their relationship, though. Wasn't there I a case know. a few years back where Foxconn was making like a very iPhone-like? Maybe I'm making this up. It was, I, I seem to remember that there was they were making a phone that was like the iPhone, and Apple essentially like. Put Shut the boot down. down and was like, "Hey, hey, less of that, or we're not coming over anymore." <laughs> I, don't, and, I think um, Apple needs Foxconn just as much as Foxconn needs Apple, yeah. at least at this point. Although we did hear that Japan Display—not that Foxconn builds displays—but Japan Display is rumored to be spending 1.4 billion dollars building a facility to create uh, screens just for Apple. Oh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Yeah, so speaking of uh, ODMs, let's let's talk a little bit about HTC because um, they talked a lot about the M the M nine as the sort of maturity of its HTC three point strategy. You know, the first being a smartphone an, a smartphone ODM building devices for other companies. The second being sort of an a, a high end Android manufacturer that focused exclusively on devices. And the third being this sort of multifaceted device slash accessory slash ecosystem facilitator. So you know they have their their rebrand. Uh, yeah. They've they, they just unveiled the grip 
which is their first fitness tracker. They have the revive, and they don't want you using re before the words, but the branding is such that it looks like there's a there's the re before everything. So the 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 C CMO Idris Muti and the product manager behind the grip and the other reproducts, the connected devices division are in, are actually actively conflicting over how they should brand these products, which is super interesting to me because you're seeing an internal battle happen in real time <laughs> where Idris Muti, the, the guy who they actually hired from design um, couture who is, uh, and he lived in Toronto for a while. He ran the Toronto division of this huge design firm. Um, he wants it to be, re everything because it's a it's a united brand so revive right. re um and and, and, and the initial the initial uh uh name for the the grip was active so it was oh, going to be the hcc cool. active but there were too many legal issues to get that pushed because there were other devices that had the word active in them so they couldn't, couldn't they just make the re the really small and then have it as like the reactive well, that's the thing is that you get into a problem where the word inserting the, the, the preface or prefix re before everything changes the definition of the word. So, you know, the reactive, that could be misconstrued as they're reacting to the market, right? They're, they're, slow, they're slowly, um, they're, they're taking their time and they're not a proactive, but they're a reactive company. You know, people could, yeah. could take that the wrong way. Which is true. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of a dangerous well, game that they should have thought about all of this before they launched the re camera. Right, but that's another thing is that it's not called the re camera; it's just called the re. Like it's a lower lowercase. Yeah, but camera, when people say, sense, "Oh, like like the re camera," like I know it's ridiculous. They have it's a, like the way in two thousand seven. It was like it was the Apple phone. Like it wasn't like I don't know. It's like. I well, know. I mean, like the wa- I mean, that's they have a. They're going to have a problem with the Apple Watch, right? Because is it the Apple Watch? Is it Apple's launching the Apple Watch, or is it Apple is launching the watch? Yeah, it's, and that's. I, I have mean, an issue too. Is all the Apple Watch articles I write, I, I'm really conscious of when I say like, oh, like the watch will have like this kind of battery, and I'm like, well, I'm not referring to like the watch, the watch, the brand. I'm referring to like the watch is in like the watch is in like right, like the shoe, the boot, the whatever. So I'm always right, like the, reading over and like <laughs> moving my capitalization around to pay, based on like what I what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a it's a regular noun versus a proper noun, and it's it's a problem that a lot of these companies are having when they um, when they brand words, regular used words like so Apple. I mean, even Apple wouldn't be able to trademark the word watch, right? Mm. You can't trademark a regularly used word like watch or shoe, but you can trademark Apple Watch. So clearly it is, and they will emphasize that they want us to use the words Apple Watch together capitalized as the product name. So Apple launches Apple Watch, you know, just like Apple launches iPhone 6 or whatever. Apple Watch is the full name of the brand. I had a problem with that. Um, I had a similar problem today where I was writing about Visa checkout and one of the PR people I'd written Visa launched the check I, Visa launched checkout last year and I actually got a PR 
person calling me saying, do you mind updating that to say Visa launched Visa Checkout last year? Because Checkout on its own is not is the not, brand. Is not the product. Yeah. I know at Tom Visa Carter, checkout. we had the same, we had a similar policy, but you couldn't say like iPhone 5 and 5C. You had to say iPhone 5 and iPhone 5C because 5C is not the name of the product. Uh, interesting. Yeah. But that's more of a list, right? You could say iPhones 5S and 5C. Yeah, you could. But that's, again, like a, a lot of semantic This is our issues. job, people. This is what we go through for you. <laughs> the anguish that we, we go through. And also now we have so many other companies just copying Apple and adding watch, right? Huawei so we have watch. Huawei watch and Alcatel watch. And, um, and then there's like, then there's even more troubling ones like LG's watch urbane, right? So do you call it LG watch urbane or just watch urbane? Or do you call it the urbane for short? Like, can you, can you get away with just calling it the urbane? Or the urbane LTV. We this, yeah, we there's a similar problem that was encountered with the Apple TV. So it's the same issue. Ah, yeah. True was, story. Long time ago. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for a while. I'm sure we'll get over it, guys. <laughs> don't panic. People probably don't want to hear about our our linguistic and literary um, you know, semantic issues. <laughs> anyway, uh, if, so how about that HTC One M9? <laughs> so anyway, I got to try it for a couple of days and i i like it i think it's a big improvement over the one i made Notab notably the the screen is actually significantly improved and that surprised me because you know on paper there's no difference but they've upgraded the panel quality um you know it's the same resolution 1080p it's the same size five inch it's the same technology underlying super lcd3 but somehow they've improved the quality of the panel. It's not quite as blue. Um, it's it. Sorry, it's not quite as. Uh, what was it? I should go back to my notes. It's actually more color accurate. So hmm. the gray, the whites aren't as gray. They're more blue. Yeah, that's what it was. So it's it's a lot more blue. It's a lot more um, cool. So it it looks a little bit more like a traditional LCD panel and not like an AMOLED panel. Right. Um, pairing the two, you could tell that there were significant improvements in calibration. Hmm. Though it could have just been my panel, but we all agreed or, in our group say, that HTC it was a big upgrade. Did HTC talk to you about that at all, or is that just something that you noticed? No, they they sort of they mentioned it off offhand. They didn't say that this was one of their messages that they're pushing that it's an upgraded display. Obviously, the main message was HTC uh, Sense Seven mm -hmm. and whatever that entails, contextual upgrades um you know it knows where you are it knows what what you're doing so it can offer you um you know suggested apps it can offer you suggested restaurants through blink feed um there's some ethical issues there with the uh, suggested apps they're not monetizing it yet but eventually they may be pushing yeah. apps that that developers pay them to push on your home screen through a widget not a big fan of that no. But uh, you could obviously turn it off if you don't want it. You can turn the entire widget off. You can't turn off the suggested apps. So oh, that's annoying. You kind of you lose the entire feature yeah. if you don't want that particular thing. Not like that. Uh, but really, the camera is the biggest thing here. The camera and the new the the new build um, 
the, the, the manufacturing process. So it uses dual anodization, which I explained in the video, is a way of producing two separate colors and textures from a single piece of metal. Um, is it and pretty? It, it's beautiful. It, it looks like an inlaid, uh, it, it almost looks like an inlaid piece of jewelry where you have an outer shell or an inner shell inlaid with sort of an outer frame. Right. So if you look at the photos, it looks like two separate pieces of aluminum stuck together, but it's actually mm. not. Unlike the HTC One M7, which did have pieces of aluminum basically glued together, and you could tell because there were gaps between them on the back and front plate. Mm. This only, um, they say that it takes 300 minutes to produce a single frame um, and that only 5% of the aluminum block is left once the procedure is done. So Jeez. they're basically using an entire block of aluminum and there's no waste. So it's quite incredible. And when you feel it, one of the biggest complaints about the M8 was that it was slippery because mm. the sides were really, it, the back was was actually quite glossy. Yeah. And, and as you said, you dropped yours all the time. Mm. And it's because so, it's also the design. It's so narrow. It's like it's really thin, and it's it's a narrow phone. So they what they did was they basically added back those edges from the M7, but they did it a different way. They did it with a different manufacturing process. Okay. But they added back those that that grippiness, but they also made it slightly shorter, so it doesn't feel like you're holding a 16 by 9 tablet anymore. Yeah. Um. It's a little bit thicker, but that's to accommodate a larger battery, 2840 milliamp battery. And the 20 megapixel camera is really what it comes down to, right? Cool. They're taking the ultra pixel, okay. flipping it. And then you have this 20 megapixel camera where you can do basically everything you could do on, a, on another Android phone. So. But you said that the software isn't final. So the, the pictures were not great. Like that was the biggest problem. Like I don't, if they could just give me the M8 again. I could chalk the, the fact that I drop it all the time down to the fact that I'm clumsy. But if they could give me that with a better camera, I would be totally happy. Yeah, so the, I think what they, they really did, they went, through the, they, they went through a categorized list of complaints about the M8, and they just said, okay, checkbox, checkbox, checkbox. Um, and I think they got it. You know, the blink, the, um, blink feed's been made less stupid. Um, the camera's been upgraded, though I think they aired on the wrong side instead of so here's what i'm allowed to say because i signed an nda and i can't reveal everything that we talked about in the session but they're not entirely done with ultra pixel and they are going to try to find a way to bring a better ultra pixel camera to the back the problem Ooh. is that it's really hard to develop a camera module at a higher megapixel with the same sizes, with the same sized individual pixels as the original four megapixel sensor. Okay. Uh, you know, without making the sensor yeah. enormous and super expensive. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, um, from what I understand, they told us that it's a Sony sensor, which means it's likely the IMX220 or 240. The one that was, that the one that's in the Xperia Z3. Um, which is a good lens. Yeah, I mean, which, it's a good sensor. I like, which I love. I love the photos that, that that phone takes. The problem is that they didn't keep the aperture at 
zero. They increased it to 2.2 or decreased it, I guess. So it now yeah. lets in less light. And compared to the 16 megapixel F1.9 sensor on the S6, I actually think that HTC is at a huge disadvantage now. You know? Yeah. Because the camera, isn't the Galaxy S6, is, it performs really well in low light. That's what I've heard. I haven't played with it. It does. And it's actually an amazing camera overall. And what HTC had in the M8 and M7 was a mediocre daylight camera, but a fantastic low light camera. Yep. And now they have a mediocre daylight camera and a mediocre low light camera oh. with really, with, with like an insane amount of detail. But the problem is that they're, that they don't have a better overall photo taking experience anymore right. than the Xperia Z3 or the Galaxy S6. And the only advantage is that you get all these manual controls to use with all these pixels. So potentially, if they do manage to fix the white balance and the yeah. autofocus problems, and you take advantage of the manual controls, potentially... Yeah, but nobody have... uses the manual controls. Like, they go on and on about how, like, the best, the best camera is the one that you have with you. And what they mean by that is the one that you can take out and say, like, oh, my God, look at that squirrel click. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's not like, oh, like, let me, let me hope that it stays long enough. Like, this picture, this, like, framed image that I want to capture remains intact while I fiddle with the settings. Yeah. Which is... Absolutely right. And that's the problem, is that HTC had no choice. They had to do something about the camera. They did. It was it was terrible. I remember in I think it was October. I was standing in Starbucks with Douglas, and I wanted to take a picture of something. I think it was like a cookie or something. And I took out the camera and I turned it on, and the camera app launched, and then it, it kind of gathered itself as it prepared to let me take the picture. And then everything just went yellow, and it looked amazing once it first opened. But then it it, it accounted for like the artificial light in the cookie cabinet, and it accounted for like the glare on the on the the case. And then it was like, okay, this is what it's going to look like now. And Doug was like, ooh, it's like it just said, like, how about, like, how do we make everything prettier? Like, just wait a second <laughs> while we, we screw it up for you. And I couldn't make it go back to, like, yeah, it just, everything went yellowy orange. And I was trying to make it go back. And Doug was like, there has to be a way that you convert to that. And I was like, I don't know. And now I don't want to because I'm, the, the moment has passed. Now I'm just, like, a douchebag standing in front of a Starbucks cabinet trying to take a picture of a cookie for, like, way too long. <laughs> so no one's going to do yeah. that. And I mean, so. you don't want to have to mess with um, sort of framing either. So, no. you know, there's different ways of, of establishing exposure. Right. There's center um, center weighting. Exactly. There's, there's spot weighting. There's, you know, uh, the third kind of weighting, um, which I, I guess takes the entire scene and yeah. tries to establish a, a, a white balance and an exposure setting through that. Yeah. But that's, you know, you have a problem where these sensors are so small. Um, they have to make the intelligent choice. And that's difficult when you have such little light to work with. Yep. So hopefully HTC figures it out. Um, but I really did, I do think that they're moving away from soft from uh, their one series in the sense that I think they're they're still going to have a, an annual one refresh. Mm -hmm. But again and again, they talk about the importance of the Desire series, the fact that the Desire series is really the only series for them making any money, right? Okay. Um, oh, yeah, that, that makes and sense. the One That's series is a hero product that they can use to promote HTC as a brand. Yeah. 
Hmm. Because just the number of devices they sell, even at a higher margin, is so much less than right. they need to, to break even. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how they manage to fix their problems. And that's coming out in end of March, right? End of March, beginning of April, they'll they'll definitely um, have it on shelves around the same time as... The, they won't want to be too much later than the S6 if they do mm. um, come out with it later. The S6 is, as, as we said, debuting on April 10th. Yeah. So w- what's your impression um, of, of the, the S6s? S6? Yeah. It's interesting because before... Before MW2, before you left, all, it was all the rumors about the, the dual edge screen. First of all, just to kick it back to that conversation about capitalization and grammar, why doesn't the E have a capital E? I don't understand. Oh, that's so frustrating. It's so annoying. Anyway, that's out there. Okay, um, <laughs> the dual edge, um, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I had no faith in it. Um, it looks gorgeous. It looks beautiful, but I... And it looks, it does look a lot nicer than the, the the vanilla S6. But I don't know, it's it's weird. Everybody seems, everybody seems so, like anyone who who saw it in Barcelona seems really like, boner, take my money. And I don't know, I I didn't expect that. So that's really surprising, which it, it's intrigued me. But yeah, I, don't I have know what to, to admit it. that the edge was super impressive. Yeah. Um, it does... So Did they decrease the edges. Like it looks like there's less edge than there is there in the is Note a, Edge. There is less edge because they had to accommodate the volume and power buttons on the left and right side. Yeah, you can only innovate to a point, Samsung. But the one thing that I don't understand about the edge is, other than the edge itself, there is literally no advantage to it over the S6. It's not like you're paying any more to get a bigger screen to get a better camera the way that they differentiate the iPhone yeah. 6 Do you think it almost would have been worth it to just have the Galaxy S6 be the Edge? Yes, I agree. And I don't understand why they're coming out with two models. I think Because they're still not sure. Right, they're but that's so a terrible unsure. decision because they're they're oh, splitting yeah. they're splitting sales down the middle and they're they're still vacillating between whether they consider the Edge a premium brand or a part of the mainstream Galaxy S mm. uh you know, sort of, uh, you know, strategy. Because, for, for like, I understand with the Note Edge in the sense that it was mainly a technology demo. Yeah, right? they, they didn't said build it was like a limited edition concept. Right, and they didn't, they didn't want that phone to sell very many because they're they they have supply constraints. They launched it in like three countries. Exactly, and. Really, they acknowledged that it was just there to show off what they could do with that curved edge display. Yeah. The problem is that the S6 has always been the flagship brand for Samsung. Sorry, the S series has always been the flagship brand. So when you come out with two phones that are otherwise identical with a $100 price difference between them and yeah, really the not that many features. Because the thing is, is that Samsung has been doing this for years where they, they'll put out the S the S whatever their flagship and then they'll be like oh we have like the S5 active and the and they'll they'll highlight different aspects that you might want they'll do like a ruggedized version they'll do like a you know a, a kind of a, a version that focuses more on the camera they'll do a version that's smaller in the mini but it really is just people like and you can tell like, you look at that phone and you don't need you don't need the marketing materials to know why someone will want it but you look at the edge and you're like it's for edgy people like, I don't know <laughs> 
I don't it's know. It's not for edgy people. It, they're both... So both of them are so thin, and they're both made of metal, and they both have the same cameras and the same storage sizes and the same screens and the same fingerprint sensor and the same benefits that... The benefits over the S5. That's the problem, is that on paper, other than the design, the, the S6 and S6 Edge are the same the problem really what it comes down to is that the s6 itself the main one is such a divergence from the s5 that that it that samsung is still pushing the s6 as a design story right the main normal unfettered s6 still is going to feature all that design literature in its marketing right Right. So how do you differentiate? How do you sell the S6 Edge as a superior product? Especially when, from what I saw, the number of side panels, the utility of all those side panel features, as cute as the ability to, you know, to, to assign a color to your, to your mom and um, another color to your brother so that when your phone is laying face down who lays your phone face down when your phone is laying face well, down you don't on want to scratch table, up that protruding camera exact well <sighs> so you know sure scratch up your gorilla glass four that doesn't make sense to me and as as cute and as visually appealing as that feature is the s6 edge doesn't have enough differentiating features to make it worth that extra hundred dollars so unless you're really design focused and Samsung, like Apple did with the watch, brought a lot of fashion bloggers to this event. There were okay. a lot more regular people at this event than tech bloggers because they wanted to push that design story. I think the price is the big issue. Like, it wouldn't be such a, a mind-boggling decision. It wouldn't be so infuriating. And you're like, why would they do it? It's, it wouldn't seem so pointless if the price difference was negligible and they just said, eh, we just made this one because, you know, figure people might want something different. <laughs> it's yeah. not. It's like, yeah, it's priced as though it's there's a significant advantage and there isn't. And I wonder how people in stores are going to be asked to address that when, when you know, the Debbies and the, the, the Tims walk in and say, which one do I buy? What's the difference? Like, I wonder, are they going to be told to... I guess I, I wonder what their explanation will be other than there's no difference. It's like, well, why is that one more expensive? Eh. <laughs> it, exactly. It's pretty. Uh, but the sign says that both of them are pretty. Yeah. Yeah, I, I guess. Like, one's more pretty. Yeah. I think what's, what for, for the first few months, what's going to happen, um, and this Samsung admitted to me, is that people are going to walk into the store and say, hey, I saw this beautiful edge display thing. Um, I kind of want to buy it. Is it available? And they'll go, no, I'm sorry. Uh, we're out of stock. It's really hard to make these edge displays. That's why we're only getting a couple of them every week. Uh, but we do have this beautiful brand new Galaxy S6 Edge. And guess what? It's $100 cheaper. Right. And people are going to go, whoa, <laughs> yeah. That will be the exact Metal. reaction. People will walk and out of the store going, yeah. <laughs> it's like finally galaxy s whatever is metal got finally it's got you know i mean for all the people who complain about the fact that it has no removable battery that it has no oh, sd whatever. card anymore it you have to time. praise 
you have to praise Samsung for taking a stand finally and being like, because I mean, in the, I don't know if you saw the press conference feed. Um, I think it was like 6 a.m. your time. So maybe you didn't, but did you see it? No, I didn't. No. Okay. So I just wanted to, yeah, make sure. Anyway, so what, what the guy saying, by the way, the press conference featured two female execs, um, which was awesome. It was so much more enjoyable and so much less embarrassing and so much shorter than any Galaxy S6 press conference I can remember. Or I keep saying Galaxy S6. Galaxy S press conference I can remember. I honestly, I thought it was a completely different company. Like J.K. Shin, he said a joke that wasn't bad. It was actually a funny (laughs) joke. He didn't spend a lot of time um, on stage because he knows that his English isn't very good. There was no like call and response where they hired some, you know, British theater guy to pretend that he knew about the product. They were actual Samsung executives on stage talking about products that they themselves had had, you know, you know, you know, played, you know, played a play to par designing. That's awesome. So. Yeah, I thought it was. So cool. So. What were we talking about? Oh, sorry. I'm hearing an oh. echo. I have to turn off my, uh, there it is. Okay. I'm not sure what that, ha- what, I'm using GarageBand and sometimes it, I can like hear an echo of myself when I talk. Anyway, so other than the fact that uh, the devices themselves aren't that dissimilar, I think Sam. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Taking a stand with the fact that we're going to charge more for products that can't have, you know, don't have replaceable batteries, don't have SD cards. That's going to piss off a lot of people. We've already heard of if it. If they could fit away, like, like if they could find a way to fit in like the UFS 2.0 or the US, blah, the new storage standard that they're using that has UFS yeah. 2.0. I have a problem saying UFS 2.0 with it, like tripping over my tongue. Like if they could find a way to fit that into the into the, the marketing materials, I feel like people wouldn't care that there was no SD. No, I don't because SD is it's not a for them it's it's not pri- it's not speed it's price, right? For most people who buy SD cards and store local data on them, you know it's the fact that I'm looking at the Telus page here for the S6 and S6 Edge. There's a hundred and ten dollars between each storage size, right? That's Apple's strategy. They've been doing it for years. The problem is that right now you can buy 32 gigs of storage for $25, right? So yes, it's significantly faster, but it's not nearly as convenient. Sorry, it's... It's, it's and more it's, convenient. It is, it's more convenient, but it's not nearly as convenient to have to shell out an extra $110 rather than going to Amazon and ordering a 32 gig storage card. You think part of that is, do they still, they don't still have 16 gig. Yeah, it's 32, 64, 128, right? Exactly. And it's interesting that all three carriers, 
or most carriers, from what I can tell, are offering all three storage sizes in both white and black. Hmm. In the UK, I think they're they're doing they're starting at sixty four for the edge, which is mm. interesting too. Makes sense, and that's I mean that makes sense to me because that's a way of differentiating the products, yeah, right? True. But alas, so yeah, I mean they are they're taking a stand and and they're they're making it you know. They're saying that the batteries, despite being smaller, will last longer because they're more efficient. This, the chip inside of the Galaxy S6s is, is more efficient. The uh, the ability to fast charge or, or you know wireless charge is uh, a huge improvement. So there are tangible benefits to the idea of closing off the battery because it keeps the device thin. It's actually thinner than the iPhone 6. Really? I don't think they... Yeah, it's 6.8 millimeters. And I don't think they could have done no, that couldn't. by having a removable no. battery. So it was. It was a it was a matter of design over convenience. Mm. And that's going to annoy a lot of people, but it's also going to make the device significantly more attractive to a much wider group of people, a group of people that wouldn't have ever looked at the Galaxy S before because it wasn't attractive. I mean, let's be honest. It hasn't really been an attractive device for, for quite a while. What about covers? How are covers, covers going to work with the the Edge? So they do have a bunch of accessories, and I checked. They um, they have some really interesting designs. I'm getting a shipment of them a couple in a couple of weeks, so we'll see. Uh, but I didn't get to try many of them on. I do know that they have one Edge case that has a see-through cover. So even with the... It's kind of like a the equivalent of the... Uh, what was it called? The window, dis- the window cover for the S four and S five. Oh yeah, where you would have like a little window to see the incoming yeah. notifications. They have an equivalent case for that, but it's translucent across the entire front. Okay. So it shows you the entire screen, but it also protects it, and it shows you the sides too. Interesting. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how it'll work. I feel like anybody buying the well, even though we've already established it. that the only difference is that it looks prettier. And anybody buying the edge is probably not going to be putting a case on it. No, I I don't know. I mean, a lot of people put cases on their phones, and they they won't buy a case without won't buy a phone without a case. So, I I think as long as Samsung designed them properly, then I don't see a reason why they they wouldn't sell in great number. And I mean, there's tons of other companies like Spec and, and Griffin yeah. and all these. Otterbox. Spigen and Otterbox. They're all coming out with their own. Um, what else did you see? You saw so, Alcatel. I saw Alcatel, yeah. Al- Alcatel um, is an interesting one. They're, they're, they launched uh, their new hero device, actually what they call their first hero device. It's the Idol 3. And they're, they're not the most advanced devices in terms of specs, but they and they they ape the iPhone six sizes and they're perfectly aware of that. But objectively speaking, they're they're not bad for the price, yeah. right? They're um, under three hundred dollars. There's a four point seven and five point five inch version. They're they don't look like the iPhone. Okay. I mean, they're they're black squares or rectangles, and they kind of look like every other device. But they're symmetrical, and they're using that as a way to differentiate in their marketing. Mm. Uh, they they have this upside down branding thing where you can use your phone 
in any orientation because there's a mic on both sides that can change directions and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, it's running a fairly stock version of Lollipop. They're running um, the, the bigger one, the 5.5-inch version, is running a 64-bit octa-core Snapdragon 615 right. chip, 2 gigs of RAM, 16 gigs of internal storage, you know, a huge battery, a decent camera. Micro SD? I tried it. Micro SD? Sorry? And micro SD. And uh, it was a pretty impressive piece of, piece of uh, hardware for, you know, under $300. Yeah. And Alcatel is really trying. I mean, they're a, they're a small brand, but they have a decent relationship with Telus and Bell, mm. and they're getting some good traction. They said that their number, they're the number five global smartphone, uh, they're number five in, in global smartphone shipments, and they're number four in Canada, mm. like overall, which is, is crazy, crazy, because I don't know how they're how they're tallying that, and I I would really love to see some some you know external numbers from a, yeah. you know from idc or or one of these other analyst firms but i i believe them because they they've been selling the crap out of their pop mini mm. it's a prepaid device they they have the idol x right. plus on telus they have the uh, the idol 2s on bell uh they have a bunch of connected tablets I mean, and none of them have been very good oh, you they're... played with one the idol yeah, x yeah i like that phone though Mm-hmm. It's yeah, well it's only, made. and the thing is, you can go on about how oh, you could just get like the one plus one for like a little bit more, and it's like people walking into a store and saying, "I want to buy a smartphone that I can use Facebook on." Like they're not. <laughs> if someone tells them, "Oh, you should just go online, you get an invite for this phone," like it's people say that they're, they're not worth the money for like the three hundred dollars or whatever they cost, but that's not a that's they're fairly priced for the average person walking in off the street and saying, "I want to walk out with the phone today, and I don't want to spend six hundred dollars." And for people who don't really know, it gives a good first impression, yeah. right? When you look at a Samsung next to an Alcatel One Touch, and you're not looking at the S5 or high-end Samsung, but you're looking at like the Core LTE or you know a mid-range LG device next to an, an Alcatel, yeah. you know you you can argue that the Alcatel is actually better made. Um, it's cheaper. If you're not worried about upgrades, because the Alcatel devices never receive upgrades, which you know is kind of unfortunate, but um, you know you're, you're getting a decent experience, yeah. and this device will actually push them, I think, into a whole new market, because it this Idol Three doesn't just give a good impression, but it gives a, it, it gives other high end devices a run for the mm-hmm. money. It's it's definitely doing for carriers. What the one, what the one plus one is doing for unlocked devices. Ooh. So it's going to come to you know it'll be zero dollars on contract or three hundred dollars outright. But most people don't buy their phones at a carrier outright. No. So you know they're hoping that this becomes the the go to zero dollar phone. Well, that's that's a, that that's, a, that's, a, that's a that's a harder market. That's a harder sell. It is way <laughs> harder because they still you know all these carriers like Bell and Telus still sell the. I was going to say, well, do you want the Galaxy Alpha for zero dollars? Like, because that'll happen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's really tough, like, right? The the fact that we we buy our devices on contract, and you know, they'd rather subsidize the products even more than lower the you know lower the prices of their plans. Mm-hmm. That's what these carriers have decided to do. I mean, I'm looking today on Telus's site. You can buy an iPhone 5s for for zero dollars. Not that's, a bad deal. That's a 
that's a big deal. So anyway, that's that's that. And I um, we're getting our our you know Galaxy S6 review unit very soon, and I'm really looking forward to playing with it because you know from one sense it's a very similar experience. TouchWiz doesn't feel too different. Oh, they pulled it back. But they oh, they did. But I mean it still doesn't feel very okay. different. It still feels like TouchWiz, right? Okay. It's still got the capacitive buttons, but all the major nagging issues from the S6 or from the S5 seem to have been rectified, yeah. Rectified, eliminated in the S6. <laughs> Let's move on to the Apple Watch. That's coming in a few days. I'm heading down to California soon, Sunday, to uh, to to take a look at it for the Monday press conference. I'm super excited, and uh, I I think it'll be a you know a barn burner. Ooh. I think people are going to I think people are going to go crazy for oh, this yeah. thing bananas and there's been a lot of leaks recently about you know especially like from nine to five mm-hmm. mac on how apple is going to market this product how app developers have to build within the constraints of the sdk you wrote about that today yeah. so what do you think i mean this is definitely not your android wear watch that you bought for 200 dollars, no. right this is a completely different experience but what's interesting is that i think that i mean Bloomberg, Bloomberg had that story on the on the the guidelines that Apple has, and that's what Apple, both Apple and Google have guidelines. I don't know if there are certain guidelines mm. that are that must be followed, but I think it's more a case that these things are strongly encouraged. So it'll be really interesting to see which ones, which which apps actually follow that, and which brands um, choose to ignore it. But um, I thought that the most interesting part was that some some brands apparently are kind of holding back because they don't know how they can offer. A better experience on the watch than they can on the phone so they're kind of which is not a no bad i think thing. it's amazing i think it's great and it's the same in that apple all these guidelines from apple and from google exist because google no more than apple they don't want people using the watch and being like oh but i found myself staring at my watch all the time and i had to keep like poking at it and you know it just wasn't it just wasn't a good experience because it was too complicated and the screen is too small and it just required too much engagement they want you to. They 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 don't want you to, to think that about their watch and how they do that is by encouraging people to make good apps because, all Google can do is provide like the baseline OS experience and then it's up to the the app developers are really going to, define your experience on the device. Right. So I I also think that Apple is making it very obvious that, not every notification that you get on your phone is going to be appropriate for yes. the Apple Watch. And that's another, um, you know, level of intelligence that Android Wear just doesn't offer yet. No. Because while you can block an app entirely from coming onto your phone or f- from coming onto your watch, it doesn't allow that level of like if if I only want to receive texts from three people, yeah. but not from everybody. There's no way to do that. Yeah. And it's something that you see on, on desktop apps the all the time. Like Skype does it, where Skype will will make that like bloop sound and bounce for the first message that you send me but then subsequent messages after that it's not gonna it's not gonna have that number isn't gonna go up on that little red flag and it's not gonna bounce every time it's not gonna make the noise every time so i think that the i think these types of accessories can benefit from that level of of 
I guess, granularity when it comes to notifications, where I say, I want you to alert me for the first time for every new contact. So if I get 10 messages from Daniel, I only want no one notification. But if I get a message from someone else after those 10 messages, I want a second one. So Right. And what's so interesting is that the only way that you can do that on Android Wear is to actually uh, configure that in the Gmail yeah. app. So for example, by default, it'll say notify for every, it'll notify for every message is turned off, which means that if you haven't checked your phone for, um, and you haven't actioned a, a notification for the first message, if you receive eight messages after that, you won't actually receive notifications for mm. them. If it's under the same, uh, if it's in the same label right. or the same folder. So, um, you know, if you divide all your, your emails into inbox, priority inbox, updates, forums, mm. promotions, social, like Google tries to get you to do, uh, it depends on the label, but you can configure that on your phone and that will translate to your watch. But there's nothing intelligent about, you know, knowing who is sending you an email right? and whether or not that particular person should be conveyed to your yeah, watch. Yeah, and that's something that you a... see, even as we said, Google tries to do that priority inbox and, and it tries itself to filter your important contacts, but it's not infallible and sometimes it gets stuff wrong. Sometimes you'll get it. I'll get an email from my doctor that gets filtered to updates and I'll say, oh, I needed to see that two days ago. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's, it's one of those things that's not a perfect system and, and what people want or need is a perfect system because the only way to get there currently is massive amounts of configuration. And I had an, an ongoing discussion with one of the readers about the priority and none and the notifications, even just on Lollipop. And they were like, but I don't get why everyone's so annoyed. You can just turn that off. Like, why don't you just set to priority and then individually turn off permissions for each app to send you notifications. So because I don't want to do that. That's a ridiculous prospect. That's what it is. And I was you like, know, but that, I could that... do it before. And his, his, his argument and his logic was, it's called priority for a reason. Like you want only the people and apps that you give priority to, to be able to get through. So why can't you just turn them on and turn everything else off? I'm like, because I want everything off. Except for alarms. Right. Except for alarms. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I, I need to tell you on the day, um, on the day we were supposed to leave, change your mind at the station, um, on the day that I, a Sunday morning, the day that all those press conferences happened, <coughs> Did you sleep uh, your alarm? I set my alarm for 7.15, 7.30 and 7.45 AM. And then I went to sleep and then I woke up at 11 AM. What? Be yeah, no kidding. Because of none. Because I had I had fallen to the none problem. The none problem sucks. On on my on my one M eight, because uh, I'd I'd flashed the uh, the Google Play Edition software, so there was no option. <laughs> yeah, you know, that, it that, was, that when I got the it Nexus was really annoying. I have to admit. In December, do you remember that day that I overslept till like eleven? Oh, I sure do. And I thought it was because I had changed from the next or from the HTC when I made um, the day before, like 5 p.m. Went to sleep. Right. Had it on none. Lollipop. Lollipop's great. I have Screw Kit Kat. I left that behind yesterday. Had it on none yep. because I like to have everything on silent and no vibrations because I have the watch to tell me when I have notifications now and I have like a notification. Anyway, not important. But yeah, put it on none. Woke up the next morning at 11 <laughs> instead of, yeah, 7.30. Well, I mean, that's one of those features where Google thought they were being helpful. <laughs> but it's by so, you more, like, by 
like, <laughs> but it's just it's a bad design decision but i don't understand like because this is they... one of those issues where you know when a company does something and you're like so many people had to think that that was a good idea before it got to me like so many people <laughs> yeah you're right and i think it's because they're thinking like engineers and not like regular phone well, doesn't, users doesn't people right? do like dog food within google where they have like you know the normal people in hr use the phones before before they release them yeah, I, I mean, I think with 5.1, they, they are reverting back to the old behavior. Well, right? I heard that but the I problem heard a is... really interesting rumor that they're going to keep it as like non-priority and all, but none will have an option that says none except for a lapse or no, it's none. Either way, it's like you can have, you can do it indefinitely or for an hour. None mm-hmm. will now have an option that's like disable all notifications until my next alarm. Until my next alarm. So you'll need to. Oh, that makes so you'll sense. You'll need to still switch it but on think... every day. But it's actually cool because I feel like yeah. a lot of people put their... But that should just be the default behavior. People put their phone on silent right? every day, like put on once. And then it stays on silent, I think, for sometimes much longer than they intended to. So I think it might be helpful to have um, to have like a, a little reminder every day that, hey, now you're awake, you're going to have notifications. And then right. you can be like, oh, I'm going to turn those off again until tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think... You know, but Google has to live with that failure, right? <laughs> you know, they, they have to acknowledge that Someone has three. To sleep at and night. I mean, I mean, it, it kind of it helps that only three percent of their audience is suffering through that indignity, but really, they made okay, a mistake and they need to own up to it. It's a whole other argument when you're like, it really, it's, it's such a relief that they can't get their shit together with the software rollout. So that so few people are having this problem. <laughs> Well, I know. I mean, that's really kind of, you know, the the sad thing. But it's it's almost the way that they that they roll out app updates, right? They do a they do a um, a uh, you know a rolling um, update for all their for the all their apps, mm. right? Because they want to test, or as well with OTA updates, right? They they roll. They roll them out piecemeal to make sure that yeah. they don't get, you know, everybody in they trouble. They break a few phones first, and then they, they wait a week. So, anyway, I'm, I mean, I'm sure that they'll get it together and, and fix it, but it's, yeah. it is, it is it's what rough. it is. There's a few other bugs, but I think so, that's the biggest one. I don't understand, like, this is, this. I find it so, like, cathartic to just bitch about Lollipop sometimes. But anyway... The other thing that I hate about Lollipop while we're here is... Um, you wrote a great article about it with your Nexus 6 after two months. I didn't I didn't get to go into as much about Lollipop as I wanted to, but eh, it's okay. Well, I, feel free to, to bitch about it anytime you want. I don't understand why when I say, hey, I don't want private data to show up on my notifications on those banners that pop up my lock screen. I'm like, oh, I don't want... That. I don't know why they have to say, like, content hidden. Like, I don't know, I don't know why they can't just... Go back. Like, why do they need the banner at all then? Why? Yeah, I, I think that that's... This bad um, design. That looks like an API issue. I remember I sat in a session at Google I.O. last year where they were design, They were explaining the design of yeah. that. And I was there, I think, yeah. I, I think... Oh, yeah, you were there. But I, I also think that you uh, de- developers can prevent that from hitting the lock screen. They just have to set a flag inside the app, and not all of them do that. Hardly any of them do. So I think that's... Well, yeah, exactly. So that is uh, unfortunate. But I, I mean, again, like, it's it's probably the biggest update to Android 
in yeah. four years, right? Since since ice cream sandwich. So if there's you... inevitably going to be some problems. Yeah. And I, I mean, I like lollipop well, I... other than the than the um, the the alarms problem. I, I really haven't me. had I any like issues lollipop. with it. Just disappointing. Yeah, I agree. Actually, uh, what else is disappointing? What else do we hate right now? <laughs> As I I remember my sister was visiting Toronto. Um, and it's interesting to get her perspective because I got her onto the Nexus 5 when it first came out and she had switched from an iPhone. And to hear her rage when she when she texts me when she talks to me about Lollipop. Like one, she doesn't understand why her battery she's she's not as she's more IT than than I guess consumer tech. So she doesn't understand why her battery life sucks now. She's like, why how why is it why does it take a minute and a half for my phone to turn on when it didn't before? And I'm like, that's a super good question. <laughs> or how she can't how she can't turn off her silent mode how it takes too long to boot up how there's just there's so many different things that she rages about where she's like i don't understand why it does this and i wish they hadn't changed it how can i go back so i'm like ooh, i guess well that's really interesting because um it shouldn't take longer because the the nexus 5 isn't encrypted um it doesn't you when you upgrade to to lollipop it doesn't encrypt it's no, only yeah it's only like well for... it's not even by default anymore but Exactly. It was only for newer devices like the Nexus 6 that shipped with Lollipop. So it's probably just that it's it's just not a very efficient update and that there's a lot more to it than there was with KitKat. What, uh, yeah, what else do we hate? Um, how was that HTC band? Did you hate that? Oh, yeah. Oh, really? I hated it. It was no. bad. But it, I mean, to be fair, it was a very, very early prototype. But my God, is that thing ugly. <gasps> And uncomfortable. And it's Under Armour too, which is like that. That stuff is not supposed to be ugly or uncomfortable. HTC had built it. Apparently, Under Armour did not have any input in the design. Yeah, they tried. Uh, they it said on that them? they that. Well, I mean, HTC said that Under Armour would have a more active role in de- in the design of future iterations of the grip, but this version they had none. God. And they also made these excuses about what it couldn't do, right? So it has no heart rate monitor because none of the heart rate monitors out there are uh, reliable. Well, tell that to my basis peak because the basis peak has an amazing, accurate heart rate monitor that yeah. is 24-7. Can't do anything else, but and... you can do that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, things like uh, it, it has GPS, obviously, but it doesn't really have a lot of kind of smartwatchy features. It's very much aimed at hardcore athletes. So I think it's going to be a very niche product. Mm, like the garments and um, stuff. Yeah, but I, I think that's really what they're trying to do is they're just trying to poke their poke their feet into the water and, and, and see mm-hmm. uh, if, if, it's, if it's warm. Um, there's nothing essential about the product. I don't think anybody's going to go, oh, the HTC Grip is you know, a better product than anything from Epson or Garmin or, or TomTom. Mm. But it's just going to be one of those alternatives, at least for the first generation. Which is, oh. I feel like it's more damaging. And they, we, like, it's one of those things that's like, they just just they just need to have some skin in the game. So they they put something out there. That even at the, the launch event, they're like, the next version will be a lot nicer. <laughs> yeah. But I... They also said that they don't even know when it's going to go on sale. Mm. So it may be a better product. You know, I always hedge that, right? I, I always hedge when when, when I 
Well, when you see something you early, you feel like it's prototypes. only fair to be like, hey, they have they have time to fix it if they want to. And, you know, they requested our feedback, and who knows if they're going to take it and, and run with it. Mm. I hope so, but you never know. Um, what else? What else? What else happened this week? Ooh, Spectrum Auction. That, I think, is what we're going to end up um, talking about, uh, end the podcast talking about. So, Spectrum Auction. Wind, the big winner here. Mm. They spent just $56 million, basically the minimum amount, um, for 30 megahertz of spectrum in southern Ontario, Alberta, and British Columbia. Okay. So the way it works is that it's generally based on it's these regions are divided into population. Um, British Columbia and Alberta are single regions, so you bid on an entire province in those cases. Okay. But eastern Ontario, southern Ontario, and northern Ontario are divided into three separate blocks, okay. which never really made sense to me mm. because Ontario may be a, a far bigger landmass, but in terms of population, it's not... I guess it is. It's. I was going to say it's not double the size of the population of BC, but I'd, I'd have to double-check that. Um, anyway, so Alberta, you know, wind and, and mobilicity currently operate in calgary and edmonton Mm. they currently operate in vancouver so mobilicity as i wrote yesterday didn't get their stuff together in time they they lost their funding what happened so so i mean it just seems like their creditors couldn't agree they have so many different people who have a stake in the game that they couldn't get an agreement together to bid you know some crazy amount of money right they had a they, they had an agreement by the court that would allow them up to $200 million in financing, mm. but that didn't actually guarantee them the financing. Just it just agreed they to, that yeah. they could get it if somebody would will- be willing to give it to them. And clearly nobody was. Bummer. And that's one um, of the things that I think a lot of people win that because those headlines came out a few weeks ago about how they had kind of court approval to, to go ahead with that. And a lot of, I think a lot of people misconstrued it as that they, they were going to bid. And I, maybe it's because Mobilicity made it sound like in their application that, you know, it was all hunky dory, and that they were going to get the funding, but they were never guaranteed they... the funding for participation. Right. Yeah, and I I also think that everybody knew internally that they weren't going to get it. I think they wanted it to seem like they were, because they're on you know they're they're just desperate, mm. and they don't want their customers to leave, and that's kind of the reality for mobilicity is that they're hanging by a thread but what's going to happen now like what are their options you like now well i mean stuff? they're in core protection they're in core protection for a while longer uh they're probably going to like if i'm a mobilicity s- customer what should i be thinking now what advice would you give me well i would tell you to leave just objectively get out while you can but mobilicity itself wants to appeal to the courts the federal courts to allow um, tell us to buy its spectrum, right? Right. Because the uh, industry Canada won't allow Telus to buy Mobilicity Spectrum based on the spectrum transfer rules. But what they can do is they can appeal through a bunch of um, through a bunch of kind of exceptions in um, the Competition Act that say that uh, this is unfair and we want to we want to appeal this. 
the industry Canada would still have to approve it and they probably won't, but at least the negotiations would take place behind closed doors. Yeah. And I think that's what Mobilicity wants is they don't want it to be a public spectacle, uh, a public discourse, because yeah. if they apply to the CRTC, they have to, they have to make all that documentation public. Mm. If they, if they sue and they, they take it behind, you know, they take it into a court, they can have these negotiations with the government and tell us privately. Yeah. So, so nothing's going to happen as far as I know. Okay. But so everyone else, nice... wind, wind has got a whole bunch of new stuff, but they're not going to be able to do anything with it for like a year. Well, customers. Well, okay. So the, the thing that, they, that wind customers have to realize is that the AWS three auction in the U S just ended like two weeks ago. And that, that took a, a very long time because it was a very different, it was a, it was a different auction type to this one. And anybody who wanted to up the bid could do it. And it was a silent bid. So it, they had to wait until there was a certain allotment of time that had passed since the last bid to close that particular region. Okay. And because the U.S. is such a huge market, these companies just kept bidding and bidding and bidding. And they put in like 50 bids for each region. Um, so that's finally done. So the AWS 3 spec is also finalized. But nobody can actually use it because there are no handsets that support it. Yes. And there are so many links in the chain when a new frequency is finalized. They have to talk to the 3GGP or 3, yeah, 3GGP um, or 3GPP rather. Um, that's the organization that finalizes the technical specs for all the new bands. They have to figure out wh what band it'll be in. They have to figure out how, whether it'll be interoperable with AWS One. And then companies like Qualcomm then have to take that final spec and develop baseband's that support it along with antennas that can work interoperably and concurrently with AWS One. And then a company like Samsung has to then buy that baseband chip and implement it in their phones. And then the companies like Wind have to buy the equipment on the towers and the antennas to roll out that AWS three. So there's so many links in the chain and nobody really knows how long it's going to take. It could take six months, yeah. but most likely it'll take 18 months to 24 months. So uh, I spoke to Tony Lacavera today and he told me that bare minimum, we're looking at Q1 2016 for an early rollout that takes advantage of AWS three. Okay. But in the meantime, now that they have all this extra spectrum, they can refarm part of their 3G network in the interim and roll out LTE in at least one market, which is Southern Ontario. Okay. Because they have 20 megahertz mm. in Southern Ontario, but they only have 10 megahertz in British Columbia and Alberta. Right. So they can't actually do anything without essentially shutting off their existing network in those two regions. But they can refarm 10 megahertz right now in Southern Ontario and launch LTE on that network and then use AWS 3 eventually as fallback when it does launch right. with newer devices. But in the meantime, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, after the 25 megahertz, 2500 megahertz spectrum auction is finished at, in the beginning of April, they're going to try to acquire more AWS 1 spectrum from Mobilicity. Um, which really would, would be the best course of action for them. Yeah. 
that's kind of their thinking. Do they roll out LTE piecemeal in certain markets? Or do they wait until everything is finished and there are handsets in the in market that will allow them to at least support a bigger LTE network in all of their regions and all of their markets on a select number of handsets? It's interesting because right? um, the same the same thing kind of went down in the UK when they had their their kind of LTE spectrum auction, and the auction wasn't going to happen until let's say September, but in or March, I think. But in the previous September, um, Everything Everywhere, which is Orange and T-Mobile, applied to, I guess, the UK's version of the CRTC and said, hey, do you think it would be okay if we use some of our 3G spectrum as, as, you know, and, and repurposed it? And they were like, by mm-hmm. all means, go ahead. And the, the bigger carriers couldn't do that because they needed all of their 3G spectrum for, for that. <laughs> so, and they, they filed like, you know, anti, like anti-competition suits and, and they tried to stop it. But the end result was even though the, like the LT was only live in a few towns around the UK, they were still the nation's first and it was still, mm. it was still progress, right? And I think for, for wind, that will be a similar situation where I think it might be more beneficial for them to be showing progress as opposed to, because they've been pointing to this spectrum auction for so long as this is what we need to get. We need to get the money for additional spectrum and, and then everything will be okay. And I think if they then turn around and say, okay, but it's going to take a while, it's going to take until next year, you know, you're basically asking, asking for two favors when you've already asked for one. So Lacavera said something very interesting. He said that now that he has obtained all the spectrum, investors or potential investors no longer see the company as a bad investment hmm. because the spectrum that they hold is extremely valuable. Interesting. It's one of the most valuable assets that a, that, yeah. a, that a telco can have. So now it's going to be a lot easier for them to invest in existing infrastructure. So... For example, wind has a problem with coverage. They have a lot of spectrum in Ontario, but they don't have a lot of coverage because they don't have a lot of towers because that capital, uh, that CapEx, that capital expenditure has been very slow because they just didn't have, they didn't have a lot of money to invest in existing infrastructure, right? right? It's one thing to invest in, in buying more spectrum. It's another thing to use the existing spectrum you have more efficiently by putting up more towers so that... If you have a tower that say points, uh, if you have a single tower that points uh, in a ninety degree, uh, in a ninety degree sort of um, direction, mm-hmm. that means that the power that they can push the antenna to um, is less than if they were to have two antennas pointing in two forty five degree directions. Right? Yeah. It's a more targeted, focused signal yeah that there will therefore be a lot stronger right now that they have a bit more money they can invest in the that existing infrastructure so wind is probably going to have an improvement in its 3g service in the run-up to lte and then once they launch lte they can then merely upgrade the software in their existing backhaul to support lte right so it's an investment in in, in two ways so i wonder I mean, I'm wondering when the when the marketing will start, and I wonder how they're going to push it. Cause... Well, the other thing that we need to focus on is that the CRTC is still going to, uh, they're still going to regulate or de- make a decision on whether they're going to regulate domestic roaming 
which means that potentially wind could have access to Rogers Bell and Telus's 3G networks at really low costs. So the places in the country that they don't have coverage, they may be able to offer an unlimited nationwide 3G plan right. for not a whole lot of money. And that could be big for the company too. And that's easy. That's one of the things that I feel like that's a lot easier to, to, to explain to the average customer than, it, than like those roaming rates are easier to explain to the customer and the, the benefit is easier. It's easier to translate into to layman's terms than when you talk about upgrading their infrastructure and upgrading and the, the knock-on effect that it will eventually have and the increased support yeah, but it's from also, investors and, and that kind of stuff. It's also not easy to tell people to wait. That's what I mean. So I'm saying that, you know, when you're telling someone to wait, you have to give them a good reason to wait. And, you know, you shouldn't need, like, 300 words of fine print to tell them why. Exactly. So, so it'll be interesting. Definitely interesting. Um, let's, uh, let's sort of conclude there. I, I think we're we're in a really good position right now. You know, there's, there's some fantastic devices on the horizon. There's some really interesting sort of net network news. Canada is finally, you know, finally has this, you know, the, the AWS three spectrum auction was the, the final step towards getting LTE in every part in every province, essentially with mm. a fourth carrier, because, you know, Sasktel, MTS, Eastlink, they already have LTE networks in their respective provinces. So now we have an opportunity for a fourth LTE provider in British Columbia, Alberta, and Southern Ontario. The only thing that didn't happen was that wind didn't get Ottawa. And Ottawa is a big market for them. It's around 5% of their hmm. existing user base. So Videotron got the Eastern Ontario block for AWS 3, which is, is troubling. And Videotron uh, also which, got like a whole bunch in Quebec too. Well, they obviously were going to get yeah. that, but it was the. It seems like the only really challenging market was Eastern Ontario. It's very different to the U.S. Wind... auction, which was yeah, fifty bids back and forth over a long period of time. Where here it was, it was almost very simple of who. Well, was it was. I mean, it was like what. a three-day auction. Yeah, it's like very Canadian. So... Everybody queues up, and then it's like this bit's for you. This is your piece. This is your piece, and then there was a minor scrap in the corner and then it was over. Yeah. I think the 700 megahertz auction was a little bit more like the U S auction that yeah. just took place. Uh, so next week we're going to have Tom Emmerich on Yay! and uh, he is our wearables expert and he's going to chat with us about the Apple watch. By then we'll probably know when it'll be released in Canada, how much the Apple watch itself and the watch edition will be all your money and, and your first we'll born. Know- Exactly. <laughs> and we'll know everything we need to know about it. And hopefully uh, we will have our first impressions up by then. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, sorry for no pod last week. I was in transit. So was Douglas. And we were all uh, just super I'm, busy and overloaded with announcements. So, But if you haven't checked out the site in the last week, there has been some fantastic coverage by everybody. Including and, Daniel. Uh, I got to play with some very, very cool technology. So look at the look at the news archives, look at the features, and uh, read up on what you missed. So thank you, Jane. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for and all the wonderful news from Barcelona. Barcelona. Oh, it was it was my great pleasure. Uh, we will talk to you next week. Bye. Bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? 
Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 